you know, Pat Benatar's problem was that she didn't really ever meet a man who listened to that great American philosopher and uh, romanticist and uh, psychiatrist, Mel Gibson. (laughs) Gibson says, after about 20 years of marriage, I'm finally starting to scratch the surface of what women want. And I think the answer lies somewhere between conversation and chocolate. Sandra Bullock, another great American philosopher, uh, seems to agree with uh, Gibson. Chocolate is the greatest gift to women ever created, next to the likes of Paul Newman and Gene Kelly. It's something that should be had on a daily basis. So, you want to solve all your relationship problems? Box of chocolate. There you go. That's the answer, and that's the way that it works. But uh, seriously, you know, we're talking about modern love this morning, and the problems with that, and then we're going to look at... uh, a different model than the one that is uh, presented to us in our society. And you're going to have to bear with me for a couple minutes on this because at first you're going to think I'm nuts, but one of the key problems with modern love is that it fails to distinguish between people and chocolate. It's just, that's just the way. Just follow along with a couple of these quotes. It's not that chocolates are a substitute for love. Love is a substitute for chocolate. Chocolate is, let's face it, far more reliable than a man. There you go. You know, the guys are kind of laughing nervously. The women are saying, amen. There you go. Biochemically, this is John Milton, who's actually not the the writer, but uh, a character played by Al Pacino. Biochemically, love is just like eating large amounts of chocolate. Why? Because it gives me that good feeling inside, you know. Uh, Next quote, kind of a stretch here to fit with our topic, but it was so good I couldn't, uh, I couldn't pass it up. Researchers have discovered that chocolate produces some of the same reactions in the brain as marijuana. The researchers also discovered other similarities between the two, but they can't remember what they are. <laughs> there you go. Like I said. Okay, so here's the connection. Here's the connection between modern love and, uh, and chocolate. Have you ever talk to someone and ask them why it is that they love the one whom they love. Have you ever thought about why it is that you love the person that you love? You know, I've done a lot of um, relationship counseling, a lot of premarital counseling, especially when I was working with, uh, with university students. And time and time and time again, the descriptions people gave, the reasons people gave for why they wanted to marry so-and-so sounded an awful lot like the reasons for why they love chocolate, you know? He makes me feel so good. I get this warm feeling inside whenever I'm I'm around her. I'm just so energized, you know, by him or by her. I feel fulfilled. I feel warm. I feel like everything's right with the world when I'm in their presence. And that could work with chocolate. It could work with pizza. It could work with a 275-yard drive right down the middle. It could work with a new car. It could work with getting the job that you want. It could work with all of those things. And at some level, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with feeling good about being with the person that you love. But if, all, if that's all there is to our, our relationships with one another, they're pretty shallow, and we might as well follow the advice of these folks and you know, get a bar of chocolate, because it doesn't seem to be uh, a significant difference. If there's not a difference between our love for people and our love for chocolate, then something's wrong with our understanding of what love is about. 
Modern love is typically, not always, but typically self-oriented. I want to be loved. I love him because he makes me feel good. Uh, I love her because she meets my needs. Uh, I love you means I want you, or I need you, or you make me feel good. It's, It's about what you can do for me. And when you stop doing it, then I stop loving you. And I read a a great quote this week by a fellow uh, who's a pastor and an author and a speaker from actually Sri Lanka, a country halfway around the world. And uh, Ajit Fernando writes, those who make love their goal in life are going to hurt deeply when they're rejected, unappreciated, exploited, or opposed by the very people they seek to love. When those whom we love fail to live up to our expectations, we just move on to somebody else. Or we move on to a bar of chocolate. Or a bottle. Or, you know, you name it. Uh, Whatever it is, we move on to someone or something else. And uh, we just kind of give up on the one whom we thought that we loved. Think about marriage. Marriage is a relationship between two very needy people. And when each person in that relationship takes without making an effort to give, it's a recipe for disaster because eventually we run out. We run out of the supply and there's nothing left and the relationship falls apart. Modern love, not only is it shallow, failing to distinguish between, you know, people and chocolate, and it's not only self-oriented, but it's also very often, as, as we saw in the, uh, the video clip from 500 Days of Summer, it's also often unrealistically idealistic. You know, it demands, and it, and it's, it demands that a person live up to an impossible standard, uh, if we get our understanding of what love is from the inside of a greeting card, we're in for a rude awakening because no relationship is always the way those greeting cards are. No relationship is always the way those kind of schmaltzy, sugary-coated, happy-ending movies are. You know? Now, interestingly, a lot of the songs that we talked about, this, that we sang, that our, our, our team sang this morning... A lot of those songs are a whole lot more realistic about what love is like. It's a, you know, a whole lot more realistic about the relationships. Treat me right. Why is she singing that? Well, because she hadn't been treated right, you know, because she's in a relationship with a broken person who's going to hurt her sometimes. And that's what, that's the way that love is. And so if we're demanding, if I'm a needy, broken person, demanding that another needy, broken person meet my needs, I'm going to be disappointed because no one is perfectly able to meet my needs. And if I demand that of them, it's a recipe for disaster or it's the recipe for a song like Carrie Underwood where she says, the more boys I meet, the more I love my dog. You know, there you go. Why does she love her dog more? Because you know what? Dogs don't demand anything from us. You know, feed them, give them a hug and they're happy. And they, you know, you can kick a dog and he'll still wag his tail at you. You know, you're not supposed to, sorry, you're not supposed to kick dogs. I love dogs. Cats, we can talk about another time, but I love dogs. We'll change that for the third service. I'll word that a little differently there. Point is, dogs don't demand anything of you, but people do, you know? Dogs don't disappoint you, but people do. 
Think about, think about your relationship with a, a, a six-week-old baby. What do you expect from a six-week-old baby? Dirty diapers, spit up, a lot of crying, sleepless nights, yet you love that child, you know, because you're not expecting, you're not demanding anything from that child. And so you're not disappointed when they do all that sort of stuff. But when that six-week-old is 16 years old, watch out, things change. And when they're 26 years old and you've married them, and by the time they get to 27 years old, they're disappointing you, then you've got a problem because, again, you've been demanding of them. There's a great passage in the Bible that gives an alternative way of looking at it, a different way of looking at love, looking at love really from a more biblical and uh, authentic kind of a perspective. And if you've ever been to a wedding, uh, you may have heard this passage read before because it's pretty popular in weddings. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and uh, the Apostle Paul writes, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Think about the contrast between this passage that Paul wrote, and what we typically think about when we think about love. Modern love is self-oriented. The kind of love that Paul speaks of here is directed towards others. It's other-oriented. Not once in the 16 different characteristics that Paul talks about here with regard to authentic love, not once does he say anything about what you can do for me. Every time he's talking about my attitude and my actions toward you. In fact, verse 5, Paul specifically says, love is not self-seeking. It's not demanding. It's not saying, I love you because of what you can do for me. It's saying, I love you because of who you are, and my heart goes out to you like my heart goes out to that six-week-old baby who can do absolutely nothing for me. But yet I still love her because she's my daughter And it's just in my heart to give and to sacrifice and to love on her. And that's the kind of authentic love that Paul is saying we are to have for one another, not just when we're loving a six-week-old, but when we're loving our spouse or our older child or our neighbor, our friend, our mother, our father, our sister, our brother. So biblical love, authentic love is other-oriented. It's also built on cooperation rather than competition. Modern love almost always leads to competition. I love you because you meet my needs. I want you or I demand that you meet my needs and desires. And you demand that I meet your needs and desires. And so we're in competition with one another because we're both looking out for ourselves. And if that's the kind of approach we take, we're in competition with one another. And if, if you meet my needs... I love you, but when you stop meeting my needs, I stop loving you, and then I stop meeting your needs, and the relationship falls apart. On the other hand, authentic love is built on cooperation. It says, I'm going to love you no matter what you do. It's not always easy. 
especially if the other person doesn't reciprocate, especially if they don't love us back. But that doesn't stop authentic love from trying. It doesn't always succeed. We're not perfect in the way that we love one another, but we keep trying. Paul says, verse 7, love always perseveres. It doesn't give up. It doesn't stop trying. It's not perfect, but it keeps trying. And, and paradoxically, when both parties in a relationship are self-oriented, when, they're, when we're demanding that the other one meet our needs, our needs are typically not met. But if both parties in the relationship are seeking to meet the other one's needs, then both of us are having our needs met. So it's the paradox is by trying harder to grab and to, to take, it's much less likely that I'm going to receive than if I give, than if I sacrifice, than if I'm other-oriented and, and directed towards them. So that cooperation is a much stronger basis for a relationship uh, than competition is. Now, when you look at this, when you look at this passage, you say, yeah, but it's kind of idealistic. You know, who is perfectly patient? Who is perfectly kind? Who doesn't keep any record of wrongs? Who never gives up? And on and on and on. You could go through all those 16 characteristics, and none of us lives up to those 16 characteristics perfectly. But that doesn't mean it's not a good definition. That doesn't mean it's not a good goal. That doesn't mean it's not a standard that we ought to strive for. If we shoot for something lower... That's, you know, if, if we shoot for something down here, this is as high as we're ever going to get. If we shoot for a standard that's way up here, we've got a much greater chance of loving one another than if we kind of dumb it down and reduce and say, well, I'll be patient when, when what? You know, when I don't have any need to be patient with you? Hey, that's easy. It's when you're a pain. That's when, you know, I need to be patient. Uh, so realistically, we may never meet that goal perfectly, but that doesn't mean that we ought not to try. And, and here's the thing. Paul's description of, of love is very difficult to achieve, but it's incredibly realistic. Uh, in, in every case, Paul is talking, throughout this, he's talking about broken people who are going to hurt one another, and he's assuming that all throughout. Look at, look at what's being, what he says here. Verse 4, patient. Love is patient. Well, I don't have to be patient with someone who doesn't bother me, who doesn't get on my nerves, Okay, so the assumption is you're going to get on my nerves. So if I love you, I'm going to be patient with you when you're getting on my nerves. Not easily angered. Well, if you never make me angry, you know, then there's no need to not be easily angered. It's assuming you're going to do something that's going to make me angry normally. Incredibly realistic. Not keeping a record of wrongs. Well, obviously, there's got to be some wrongs that you might be tempted to record, that you might be tempted to bring up, you know, uh, over and over and over again. So Paul's assuming that we're going to have problems in our relationships. And he's saying, if we really love one another, then we're going to continue to have that authentic, godly, Christ-like attitude towards one another in spite of our flaws, not because the other person is perfect. Perseverance. You don't have to persevere if there's no difficulties to overcome. So Paul is... Paul is writing this to a bunch of people who are messed up, who are broken, and who have a tendency uh, to hurt one another. And he's saying, essentially, if you're going to be selfish and demand, forget it, it ain't going to work. 
But if on the other hand, you're realistic and recognize that, you're, that the one you love is broken, they're going to hurt you, they're going to disappoint you, they're going to annoy you, they're going to wrong you, and you love them in spite of that, then you've got a fighting chance for a great relationship. Nobody who's ever walked this earth, with one exception, has ever loved perfectly, has ever lived up to the standard that Paul sets here for us in 1 Corinthians 13. And the, and the only one who's ever loved perfectly is God himself in the person of Jesus Christ when he walked this earth. Jesus came to earth, lived among us, suffered, was crucified, died, rose again, loved us in that way, not because he looked down and he said, oh, they're so cute, I've just got to have some of them, you know, not because we loved him and he said, man, they love me so much, they're meeting my needs so well, I'm just going to reciprocate, I'm just going to love them back. He loves us in spite of the fact that we don't love him. He loves us in spite of the fact that the stuff that we do annoys him, frustrates him, that if it were anybody else in the universe, he'd lose patience with us, he wouldn't be kind to us, he would keep a record of the wrongs that we've done, and he wouldn't persevere. He would give up, and the love would fail. But the kind of God we have is the kind of God who says, in spite of all that garbage, I still love you. And Jesus was patient. Jesus was kind. Jesus was, and goes all the way through. And you can see, if you look at the life that he lived when he was on this earth, you can see that kind of love lived out in the way that he treated Uh, those around him. He loves us not because we're lovable, but because that's the kind of God that he is. And his love for us leads to our love for one another. Uh, The apostle John, who was one of Jesus' best friends, probably was his best friend when he was on the earth, and who understood the love that Jesus had probably better than anybody else, uh, any other human being ever understood, writes in uh, one of his letters in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. He says, we love because he, God, because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. The more we understand, the more we experience uh, God's love for us, the better we'll be able to love one another. Because instead of looking to each other to have our needs met, instead of my demanding that my wife or my kids or my friends or whoever's, instead of demanding that they meet my needs, I'm going to be looking to God to meet my needs. And if I'm finding my needs met in him, if I'm finding my fulfillment, if I'm finding my meaning in life, in my relationship with the only person who's never going to fail me, who's never going to let me down, who's never going to be impatient with me, who's never going to hurt me, who's never going to wrong me, who's not broken, and who as my creator, as my redeemer, is the only one who can ultimately meet my needs. If I'm finding my needs met in my relationship with Christ, then I'm going to be in a much better position to be able to love those around me in spite of the fact that they're not perfect, in spite of the fact that they may not love me back as much as I want them to love me. It doesn't mean that I don't want love from those around me, that I don't want to be treated the way 1 Corinthians 13 talks about. I do. I want people to be patient with me. I want them to be kind to me. I want them to not take into account 
the wrongs that I've done against them. But if I don't demand that, then I'm gonna be in a much better position to be able to love them. And so if my needs are being met in my relationship with God, I'm gonna be in much better position to be able to love my family, to love you guys, to love uh, the people around me. Let me give you two practical suggestions for where you can go uh, with the things that we're talking about this morning. First of all, there are 16 characteristics. They're going to put them up on the screen uh, behind me. 16 characteristics of love that are talked about uh, in this passage. Pick one this week and begin to work on it. Pray about it. Think about it. Ask yourself, where do I fall short? Love is patient. When am I impatient? What is it that sets me off and makes me impatient with, with the people that I love? Love is kind. Where do I have a tendency to be unkind? I'm kind to those who are kind to me, but when am I unkind uh, to somebody? And on and on and on. There are 16 different characteristics. If you were to pick one of those each week, spend some time thinking about it, praying about it, working on it, asking God to help you to develop that character quality in your life, I think that by the end of this year, by the end of 2010, by the time we got to New Year's Day, you would find significant change in your relationships with the people that you love just by working on uh, each of those characteristics one at a time uh, for the rest of the year. So that's one idea. Another one, pick one of the, uh, the four Gospels, the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. I know some of you actually are, are reading through Uh, those four gospels, those four biographies, a chapter a day for the rest of the year because we talked about a couple of weeks ago that you could actually uh, pretty much finish off all four gospels and learn a ton about Jesus and who he was and what he's like. You could do that uh, by the end of the year if you started reading uh, a couple of weeks ago and now you'd finish in the middle of January. But in any case, uh, read through one or more of those gospels, one of those, those biographies of Jesus and ask yourself, how am I seeing Jesus love the people around him? How were they treating him and how did he treat them? How did he exhibit these characteristics of love uh, that Paul writes about? Ask God to show you that. Ask him to help you to see how the way he loved the people around him when he was living on the earth is the same way that he loves us now. Ask him to make that real to you. Ask him to make that part of, of, of your life, of your relationship with him. And as you do, as your understanding of his love for you and and, and your appreciation for his love for you grows, you're going to have a greater capacity to love those around you because you're not going to be demanding that they meet your needs. You're going to be saying, you know what, man, Jesus meets my needs so much better than these people around me. So you're going to be looking to him. He's going to be meeting your needs and that's going to free you up to be able to be other-oriented to be sacrificing, and it is a sacrifice to really truly love somebody. It's gonna free you up to be more and more like Jesus, and as a result, your relationships, I think, are gonna improve. So let me encourage you to to try one or both of those things, working on a characteristic a week, reading through one or more of the Gospels and asking God to show you the kind of love uh, that he has for you and asking him to develop that uh, in you. God's God's love for us is a sacrificial love. It's a a love that gives rather than demands. And and that's the kind of love that he wants us to have for one another. 
And that's the kind of love that he'll develop in us. He'll work in us by the power of his spirit, of his Holy Spirit, as we grow in our understanding of who he is, of what he's done for us, as we grow in our love for him and our trust in him. Let me pray for us. Father, it's, it's a challenging uh, life that we find ourselves in. You know, we're, we rub shoulders with broken, hurting people, needy people. We're married to them. They're in our families. They're in our jobs. They're in our schools. They're all around us. And, and we are those people. We have very real needs and desires. And we just can't meet them but you can. Father, I pray that you would day by day and week by week and month by month teach us to more and more look to you and trust in you uh, to meet our needs. And free us up, Father, from that demanding, uh, self-oriented kind of love that our society uh, so often uh, encourages us to exhibit. And instead, Father, I pray that you would give us uh, an other-oriented, a a self-sacrificing, a giving kind of a love rather than a taking and a demanding kind of love. So Father, increase our appreciation for your love for us. And as you do so, I pray that you would increase our ability to love those around us. And I pray that as you do that, that our relationships would be transformed and that you would be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.